Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. And this week in the news, we found out that you can make money from gaming when a teenager who frustrated his mum by gaming eight hours a day became a millionaire in the Fortnite World Cup. (laughs) Vegan sausage rolls have helped drive a 58% first half profit rise for Greg's as people who came in to buy them also purchased coffees, cakes and sandwiches. And... Sadly, Uber laid off 400 employees in a dozen countries in what employees described as a bloodbath. Dear me. Anyway, this week, we're delving into the subject of entrepreneurship. I love that word, but it's so difficult to define. Entrepreneurship. There is about as many ways to define this as there are letters in the word. Uh, did you... Have you got a strong sense of what entrepreneurship means to you, Heather, before we go on? Well, um, what it means to me isn't necessarily what it means to a lot of other people, I don't think. Because I, I think of an entrepreneur as being somebody who starts a business and takes it to a point where they then lose interest and go and start another business, you know, like a like a serial business starter. Um, and yet, everybody's an entrepreneur these days. It seems. It seems like the badge that everybody wants yeah, to wear. I'm, yeah, I'm. I am an entrepreneur. Well, I don't know that. I don't know that you are. That you are necessarily. So yeah, yeah I'm a bit. If you look at the definition, um, it just says a person who sets up a business or businesses taking on financial risks in the hope of profit. Well, that's one definition. Yeah. I found what is apparently the perfect <laughs> definition. The perfect definition. Go on. Yeah, but that is in the, in the opinion of Harvard Business School. Okay. And the definition was by one of their professors. So they would say that, wouldn't they? Okay. 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 But uh, they start it off by by saying that this guy is a longtime professor at the Harvard Business School and he recounts a story of a senior faculty member at the school describing the field of entrepreneurship to a young person. And uh, this senior faculty member said, you peel it back layer by layer and when you get to the centre, there's nothing there but you are crying. (laughs) (laughs) I think our inability okay. to really focus on a definition, it, it's not just as Harvard Business School. But the one they came up with, I think, is, is a bit interesting because it doesn't mention business and it doesn't mention risk. So um, this chap, Howard Stevenson, says that entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity beyond resources controlled. OK, so taking a punt. Yeah, and and also I think the key thing is beyond resources that you've got at the moment, that's what extends it further. So in another article on the Harvard Business School um, website, they they break it down and say that pursuit implies a singular, relentless focus. You've got a short window of opportunity, and so you have to act and, and deal with it there and then. Opportunity implies that it's novel in one or more ways. So it's something new, something innovative. Uh, Beyond resources controlled implies resource constraints. Okay. And so then that brings about all different levels of risk, um, including demand risk. People might not want to buy it. Mm -hmm. Technology risk. So you haven't got the right technology or your technology fails. Execution risk. You just go about it the wrong way. And financing risk. You haven't actually got 
the, the finances to do it or you take on, on debt to do that. So whereas it seems at first quite a loose definition and not one that you might have first imagined because it say it doesn't say serial starter of businesses mm. and um i think i i like it. it it's quite neat but it is in quite an academic way though mm. so I, yeah. I think you can tell it's from uh, harvard business school because it's got this academic but there was another interesting paper um that stevenson wrote in in 2000 where he looked at the difference between an entrepreneur and an administrator so and and administrator it sounds a bit sniffy but it's like somebody who manages a business yeah who, okay. who deals with what they've got so an administrator looks at the resources and how to control them and how to reduce the risk and he i said that an entrepreneur looks at opportunities how can you capitalize on it and what resources do you need to do it yeah okay so and and this way, um, it's described in an article that I read that this means that entrepreneurship is open to everyone, regardless of what resources they've got at their disposal. They just find a way to make it happen. And it, it opens it up to people who you might not ordinarily think of as entrepreneurs. And that way, entrepreneurship becomes a mindset rather than, and I, I love this phrase, rather than the caricature we've been used to of the driven, risk-addicted, type A serial business starter. Which... Yeah, which is, to, I mean, one of the, the person, a person that we all know of that I see as a true entrepreneur is Richard Branson, because he he comes up with ideas. Okay, he's you know he well he spotted an opportunity with Mike Oldfield, you know, and made his first million off of the back of that, you know, where nobody else was backing this guy, um, and he, the range of Virgin brands that there are demonstrate to me that he thinks right, okay. There's a gap in the market, right? Let's do something with wine. Let's do something with makeup. Let's do something. And sometimes they don't work and they get parked. Uh, so that I think that that, he doesn't do the doing. He has the ideas and then he surrounds himself with teams of people who, who can actually execute what what his idea is. Um, so I, I, I see him as being um, a typical entrepreneur, Uh but, I don't know. What do you think? But then I think it's good to extend your horizon. So, for example, there's um, there's some micro loan uh, portals available, which are supporting um, women in Africa, say, who okay. want to set up a business. And clearly they fit into that definition. They, they see an opportunity. They've got limited resources. Yeah but they're being entrepreneurial in their approach. They're not setting up a, you know, just a lifestyle business. They're, no. they're actually pushing and forging ahead with it. So I, I think the the tendency is to look at the Bransons and go, that's how you have to be. But I think there'd be more richness to the definition if you can see the entrepreneurial mind. I mean, you can even have entrepreneurs in a company, can't you? They, they tend to call them intrapreneurs. But yes. that you can have an entrepreneurial approach. Yep. You have to be careful because the company you might work for might not appreciate an entrepreneurial no, they want approach. you to just shut up and get on with the job. Yeah, but I, th I think there are more facets to entrepreneurship than perhaps you first, Im you know, would, yeah. would imagine from the definitions. Um, but I think, you know, Branson started out. I don't think Branson knew that he would end up with this empire that he no. now has. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to start somewhere. Um one of the things that's always fascinated me about entrepreneurs is um, that th 
60% of self-made millionaires, which often encompasses um, entrepreneurs, are dyslexic. And interesting. Isn't yeah, it? it's um, it's it's a really interesting stat that I came across years ago, and it, and it is that um, dyslexia affects approximately ten percent of the population, but sixty percent of self-made millionaires are dyslexic. Now, I don't know if that's because they have a more creative brain and are more likely to spot an opportunity or run with it, or whether they try harder. To prove themselves. Or have they found it more difficult to find a traditional role? Exactly. And so that's their, their only option. Exactly. But I've, I think it's I think that's really interesting because it starts to then look at, okay, what makes an entrepreneur? So when, you know, when you, again, when you speak to, you know, young people and they go, well, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I don't know if you can be one. I think you either are one. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can become one. So that's an interesting question, though. So the... Um, can you teach entrepreneurship? Well, I don't see. I don't know because if you're looking at all of those, spotting an opportunity, um, moving it forward, thinking about risk, not thinking about risk, Doing <laughs> it resources. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, I think it starts to get a bit more complicated. But um, I, yeah, I, I, I've just I've always found that really interesting, um, and I kind of don't know why it is, but I. And we'll never know because it's a bit chicken and the egg, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, it's a massive subject, a fascinating subject. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, why don't you go and leave a comment on our blog on the website, which is accompanied by a podcast version of this show. And that should be up there later on this afternoon. You go to our website, which is thebusiness.community. You're listening to The Business Community and in this section we talk about news, what's happening in the world of business at the moment. And um, there's a couple of stories. One that uh, that broke today, I, I heard it earlier, there's an article in The Guardian about plastic bag sales in England being down by a third in the last 12 months. Um, we all know now that, you know, we're, we're, we're taking our bags and reusing them or using um, canvas. Uh, canvas bags or whatever uh, and it's all to do with the 5p charge that was introduced so actually the sales of single-use bags by the big supermarkets has fallen 90 percent since the 5p charge was was first introduced um which is good news for for the environment uh, not so good if you're a plastic bag manufacturer well yes this is it and also thinking about it that must have been a big revenue generator for the supermarkets. Oh, good point. Yeah, you know, so so there's a whole there's a whole another another th thing there. Um, but yeah, so I thought that 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 was really interesting. That you know, it is a massive it is a massive decrease, um, and and it's now second nature to us all. You know, once upon a time they gave them away, and we all you know people used loads of them. Um, uh, the, the, I can't remember what the figure was, but they say, uh, there we go. People used to use 140 bags a year in 2014. And now they say that the average consumer just buys 10 bags a year. So anyway, that I thought that was quite interesting. And then something um, slightly less jolly. Um, uh, Reuters uh, published a story earlier today. Suffocating UK factories report biggest fall in output in seven years. Um, 
British manufacturing, which has been in massive decline for you know for decades, is really starting to feel the pinch now, um, particularly in terms of um, the B word and and you know what's what's all going to be happening on the thirty first of October if things remain as they seem to stand today, um, and and that's worrying because, of course. In fact, I was talking to somebody um, earlier on and they were saying that keeping skills and keeping manufacturing capabilities, it may be that we have to look inward. We have to look back at what we've got in terms of manufacturing. Um, but if it's all disappeared, if it's all disappeared or, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be great if we need that because, yeah, it, so it, this is this is worrying time for any any manufacturing um well, for, for many of us, but also particularly for manufacturing and factories. Well, I feel particularly bad now Sorry. following up with this news story. Um, and that's that the number of insolvent companies in England and Wales hit its highest in more than five years in the second quarter of 2019. That's according to official data released on Tuesday by the Insolvency Service. Um, that's a government agency. And they said that 4,321 companies entered insolvency in the April to June period. And that ex excludes bulk closures of personal service companies. And uh, the number of personal insolvencies declined for a second quarter running after hitting an eight-year high at the end of 2018. So not not, not great, not great. Um, yeah. And then we've got a report that was also out from the ONS this week. So they've published a report on workless households by region for 2018. And the main points of this, there is a lot of detail and you can download all the data as usual from the ONS website. But the main points are in 2018, the areas with the highest percentage of workless households were generally located outside the south of England. That's probably no surprise. Mm. Not all locations outside the south of England had high percentage of workless households because 10 of the 50 areas with the lowest percentages were in Scotland, Wales and the Midlands. And Hartlepool, Glasgow City and Dundee City were in the top five areas with the highest percentage of workless households in 2017 and 2018. Windsor, Maidenhead, Harrow and Bracknell Forest were in the top five areas with the lowest percentage of workless households in both 2017 and 2018. There's a lot of data there, as always with the ONS. These summaries are supported by either the raw data or more analysed data. But if you want to go and research that in more depth, go to ons.gov.uk and have a look at their release calendar. Also, um, a more light-hearted story, yes. in, a, in a way, I suppose. Did you hear that Capital One had had a major data breach? 100 million people's data had been um, stolen from Capital One by a, a software engineer who used to work for Amazon Web Services. Do you know how the FBI caught her, Heather? Go on. She posted about it on social media. Idiot. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I mean, come Why would on. you do that? You might be a hacker, you might be a software <laughs> engineer, but come on. <laughs> the lesson from that story is if you're going to hack and steal data, yeah. don't boast about it. Don't yes, say probably, media. yeah. Oh. But and that, what that does do, though, is it demonstrates a lack of appreciation of the difference between the real world and the virtual world. It, yeah. it's, it's a... Oh, okay. Uh, the other interesting thing to say on that is that Capital One hadn't disclosed the breach Okay. It happened in March and uh, it's affected 100 million people in the US and a further 6 million people in Canada. 
and they mm. kept that to themselves. Wouldn't happen in Europe with GDPR. Oh, Ooh. no, Ooh. no. And we've talked about Microsoft quite a bit recently and news out this week is that they're retiring Skype for Business online by 31st of July 2021. So you've got a little bit of time for that. But starting from the 1st of September this year, all new Office 365 customers will only be able to use Teams. And we've talked about that before. It's um, Microsoft's rival to Slack. Interestingly enough, they do say in their press release that some features currently supported by Skype for Business Online are not yet available on Microsoft Teams, but they're aware of the situation and will be working to add more features to Microsoft Teams before um, Skype for Business Online has finally retired. Because they put out, um, they put out a, a missive, didn't they, that employees couldn't use Slack, they could only use um, teams. So I wonder if that's them trialling the um, effectiveness of it before they impose <laughs> it on the rest of us. Let's see if it works, shall we? I, I'm using Teams at the moment in one of the places that I'm working and I'm the only one who's adopted it, so it doesn't really work. <laughs> no, it includes in the name. <laughs> in this part of the show, we like to share things that we've discovered with you. And this week I've discovered a couple of books. One is called Pocket Mentor, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Building a Lasting Business from Scratch. See what I did there? Oh, the theme of entrepreneurship. This is by a gentleman called Mark Nuruddin and it's divided into two sections. The first part covers what you need to know before you start and then the second bit is a startup toolkit which gives you help on actually implementing the startup and running the business. Now, um, the first bit is good. The second bit is very US based. OK, so I, I think I couldn't recommend it strongly for, for UK readers on that basis. However, you if you've got Amazon Kindle Unlimited at the moment, it's it's on there for free. So um, well, it's not free because you've already paid for it. Pre, free at point of, of use. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and I, I liked um, the way that he talks about um, his own experiences as well. So he talks about um how he's gone through the process of setting up businesses and failing and setting up businesses and failing, which is always really quite encouraging because you see, you know, there there is a process that you have to go through. He also has a section on employing friends and family. It could be summed up in one word. Don't. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And he also goes into a nice bit of um, explanation about prices and margins, which always useful prices and margins often trip people up especially if if they don't feel very confident with finances and he starts the book I'll, I'll read a couple of quotes from the book every business was once just an idea in somebody's head yeah Bill Gates had an idea Steve Jobs had an idea Elon Musk had an idea Richard Branson had an idea now you see from those names there his style of, of what of writing he this consist- book, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's the the Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Richard Branson type approach. Nothing wrong with that, but that is the sort of that's style where it's of the pitched. Book, yeah, yeah. Um, working different jobs when he was a child was all part of his entrepreneurial development, and he always knew he wanted to be self-employed. He just didn't know what type of business, which I thought was interesting. And I, th- I think sometimes it's presented that you've got this passion and this idea, and I'm, I'm going to turn it into a business. But I, th- I think, as you say, I said earlier on with Richard Branson, he didn't think, oh, I'm going to 
run a airline, airline. No. right from the get-go. He just had a sense he was going to run this business. And um, he talks about his um, desire is to inspire entrepreneurs and remove the fears about starting a business. Um, one of the interesting bits is he, he, he does a big long list of key personality traits that are important to being a uh, an entrepreneur. It's quite a long list, so I'll, I'll whiz through. But the top of the list is good morals. Okay. Okay. A good worth e- work ethic. Loves to work. Loves to create. Is a problem solver. A multitasker. Likes to read. Is a good speaker. A good communicator. Is articulate. Ideological. Passionate. Good with money. Good with people. Personable. Caring. Smart. Intelligent. Driven. Honest. Always thinking. Can manage stress. Can let things go. Managerial. Generous. Dynamic. And a good listener. (gasps) Oh, and you also have to be intelligent. And you have to have a strong personality. And you have to be a leader. No pressure. (laughs) But that was slightly an off point in the book, I have to admit. That big, long list. And how many people could honestly say I'm all All of of those those things. he says they're not necessarily all required, but are helpful to right. being a successful entrepreneur. But please do do not let that put you off. Um, so if your passion is to be an entrepreneur, he says you should become comfortable with the idea of trying and failing. Yeah. Which okay. I think is a really yeah. good point, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. it, you might get very lucky and your very first idea is the one that makes you a multimillionaire. But what, what do you do then? Do you stop being an entrepreneur then? No. Do you go on and try something else? And of course, we only hear about the successful ones. Of course, yeah. Because you know, if, if Richard Branson had backed, you know, a loser um, and hadn't and hadn't achieved, you know, made his money early on, well, we wouldn't have heard about it. It yeah. would have just been another failed business. So I, I can recommend the first half of okay. the book um, if you like that style of entrepreneurship. The Pocket Mentor, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Building a Lasting Business from Scratch by Mark Nuradine. Um, if you're in the US, then the Startup Toolkit is aimed at you. If you're in the UK, you can still get some useful ideas from there, but I think you'd need to, to get a UK source to be, be certain. And then the other book that I've, I've quickly seen and I haven't bought yet, but I've decided I need to own this book. And it's called Good Charts Workbook. Tips, tools and exercises for making better data visualisations. And it was published in January this year. It's um, by a gentleman called Scott Berenato, who's already written a book called The Good Charts Paperback. Oh, sorry, The Good Charts. It is a paperback. Okay. <laughs> I should edit my, uh, my uh, notes before I come on the show. Good Charts. This was published in May 2016. And interestingly enough, some of the criticisms... Uh, of the book in reviews were that it uh, it doesn't include any good examples and so I'm guessing this book was written in response to that because it's actually worked examples and it's talking you through the process and the feedback that I've, I've got from it is that um, it makes it what can be quite complicated very simple without it being too simple. Okay so is it talking about how to create charts that you use to visually illustrate things. Yeah, or? it's how to 
yeah, how to use the right charts and how okay. to present them in the right way, the okay. use of colours, oh. you know, the types of charts that you use. Oh, sounds so interesting. It's, a, it's a really interesting. It's not cheap, but I think actually um, having had a quick look through it and also reading some of the reviews on it, I think that it, it's actually one that could, if you are doing a lot of data visualisation in your work or you're writing a lot of reports wh which would lend themselves to data visualisation, I think it's a really good investment. Mm. Sounds good. What have you discovered? Sounds good. I also have got a book, but um, I came across this book kind of by mistake. I've been hanging out on LinkedIn a little bit lately, and um, I came across uh, a guy who is an accountant. Um, his name's Carl Roberts. Good afternoon, Carl, if you're if you're listening. Um, he's from GMR Accountants, which is based in Southport. Now, he's been posting some videos um tips around accountancy and, and I quite liked his style um, but there was a book that was available a book that he's written called The Profit Compass um, and it, it the subtitle is Navigating Your Business Growth Through Numbers and this is available free of charge via the GMR Accountants website and I'll put a link on our uh, blog post um, and it's a cracking little book it arrives through it's only a, it's only a little book um, it's beautifully well um, beautifully produced. Um, he wrote a little message in the front to me, wishing me success. I know it's a good book because there's already six or seven post-it I've got post-it, yeah. <laughs> Marking or the pages. The bits that, yeah, the bits that I like. It's it's not rocket science for, you know, if, if you're all over the numbers, then you don't need this book. But it... It talks about where you want to be, where you are now, what's the most important number in your business, how do you reduce costs, uh, people, systems, you name it. But it's written, it's, you can read it in an afternoon. I mean, it, it's, it's got some great tips, it's got some great ideas, some, some practical examples, um, and it talks to you. It talks to you. So it's, it's a cracking little book. Um, and... Yeah, I would suggest that um, without wanting to inundate Carl with requests for for his book, um, you can have it in a, I opted for the hard copy, you can have it in a digital version. Um, but yeah, pop along to gmraccountants.co.uk and get your copy of The Profit Compass by Carl Roberts. <laughs> Sorry, we were just having a moment about who's, who's speaking first. Um, and I said me and then didn't say anything. Sorry about that. OK, so it's all going very well. It's, it's all going very well today. Um, in this section, we talk about uh, a business leader or a business icon of some sort. And I suggested to Tracy that um, we might spend a little bit of time trying to find out a little bit about Eddie Stobart. We all see the Eddie Stobart lorries around the around the country, don't we? Um, and I, I, I know that Eddie Stobart himself has passed away, but it's a massive organisation. They've got distribution centres all over the place. So we decided that we would have a little look at what the background is, what they're up to now. And it wasn't easy to find out anything about... Mr. Eddie Stobart. Can I share a, a little secret with you all? <laughs> Go on. So um, I, I'm happily researching Edward Stobart, as, as instructed by Heather. And I, I start to read a little extract of a book called The Eddie Stobart Story, which was written by Hunter Davis and published in 2002. And the first uh, first paragraph in the book says, Edward Stobart, the hero of this book, not to be confused with his father, Eddie Stobart. 
that was my first mistake. Ah. <laughs> so here's me researching Eddie Stobart, who actually apparently wasn't interested in road haulage at all. And uh, I was thinking, wow, Heather, you've you've outdone yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you've outdone yourself this time. Okay, I'll go with this. Um, Ed, Edward Pierce Stobart, born in 1929, didn't really have much interest in road haulage and then realised that actually you meant his son, Edward Stobart. I fell into the classic trap. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it's a, a common mistake. It's a common mistake. But but um, Eddie Stobart, the Eddie Stobart that we're talking about, they came from... You mean fa- the one born in uh, 1954? That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Um, came from... He's a classic example, I guess, of somebody who didn't set off to have... 2000 vehicles and you know massive distribution centers all over the all over the place started off fairly small in terms of um his his business dealings and then uh it it just grew and um into the into the the plc that it is now um and i guess he made quite a lot of money but they've had some real um financial challenges over the years and in fact the point at which he died uh, did he die in 2011 he died in 2011 yeah. um they were you unearthed that they were actually on the verge of uh yeah bankruptcy, so, so i understand that um he had some considerable debt at the time of his death and had filed for bankruptcy the year before i haven't had that verified anywhere separately mm. but uh, that that was the the thinking but it, they're not without their problems now even even though it's a a completely different animal to what it yeah. was in 2011. Um, but I think road transport in general has its problems. There, you know, there's a lot of um, issues. But it's um, it's expanded into lots of different things now, hasn't it? So they they do transport recruitment as well. And didn't they recently buy one of the pallet um, haulage companies as well? Like pallet, I can't. I'm not sure I've got the right company, but pallet yeah. line or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. They uh, interestingly, twenty five percent of the company is held by uh, Woodford Asset Management, um, the Woodford who is um, in the in the papers a little bit currently, currently having a few problems. Having a, yeah, having a few problems. Um, yeah, so he owns twenty five percent of the business. But one of the one of the lovely things that are about if you can get excited about a load of lorries, I, I do quite like lorries. Um, and yes, I was a member of the Eddie Stobart um, <laughs> s- supporters listener, club. Dear listener, do join me in your surprise <laughs> at, at that revelation. <laughs> Heather told me just before we came on air uh, that she was a member of yes. the Eddie Stobart Spotters Club. Yes. And the reason that spotting Eddie Stobart trucks was so interesting um, is that uh, they all have a name. And so they started off being named after people, women, they all have female names, named after people that he knew. Uh, and then gradually it's expanded. So, you know, they, they've got, they've all got their individual names, which is quite nice. And of course, if you are an Eddie Stobart spotter, you can buy a mug, you can buy, you can buy presents for your dad. You can, there's all sorts of things. So it's become this amazing brand. That's the point. Yeah. So I, I was doing a search for videos. I, I often... As, as we've discussed, we, we go down the rabbit hole of watching videos and talks mm. by various people. Couldn't find anything that included Edward Stobart himself. Put lots of fan videos, videos of van 
vans or videos of toy vans being driven around. Yeah. Video, video. So many Eddie Stobart videos on YouTube. All about the brand. Yeah. And that and it and it is an amazing brand. Amazing. It's, it's instantly recognizable. Um and they if you go to Wikipedia um to 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 look up uh Eddie Stobart, it, it says it's a large British multimodal logistics company with interests in road haulage, rail freight, deep sea and inland waterway transport systems and deep sea port, inland port and rail connected storage facilities, along with transport handling and warehousing facilities throughout operations in the UK, Ireland and Belgium based in Warrington, head office in Warrington. Uh, so it's a massive, a massive beast. And in fact, on their, their own website, they're reporting that they are involved in a massive um, distribution centre, a £75 million investment. Um, they're going to be building a national distribution centre in Warrington. Uh, so whatever, if there were any financial worries, they seem to have put those behind us but behind themselves, although... Still the fan. Still the fan. <laughs> behind us. <laughs> behind us, yeah, behind them. Soon to be spotted standing on the <laughs> roadway bridge. You. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but they have put out a warning. Um, they've found an, uh, an accountancy anomaly, um, which is, is affecting their, um, their figures, their, their share price at the moment. But uh, an interesting one, not the most... Not the most exciting. So shall we bring it back to Edward Stobart, the man? Yes, okay. And, and I'm going to refer us back to the Eddie Stobart story. Okay. From 2002 by Hunter Davis, the one who pointed out the error of my ways. Okay, and, and, and on page one. Father. Yeah. Yep. Um, he, he says, this is quite glowing, and this bear in mind this was written before um, he passed away. It says, Edward Stobart is Cumbria's greatest living Cumbrian. Wow. wow. Not a great deal of competition, you might think, as Cumbria is a rural country, county, with only 20 settlements with a population greater than 2,500. But our native sons do include Lord Bragg. OK. There you go. So he was at one time considered Cumbria's greatest living Cumbrian. What else can I say? Mm. <laughs> That's about all we've got time for this week. Uh, do listen again to the podcasted version via our website, thebusiness.community, and links to some of the articles and uh, the discoveries that we talked about today will be available on the website. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.